When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Hi, folks. Welcome to another film study. This is Ken McCusick, joined today by Jordan Coe. And we got a topic I know everybody's been waiting for in our positional reviews, the 2020 review of Lamar Jackson uh, coming off that MVP season. Jordan, how you doing, my friend? Good, Ken. It's glad to be. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me on again. Always a ton of fun. This is a great topic for you. Appreciate you. No one had the balls to step up and do the Lamar Jackson review. Obviously, a controversial one in, in some sense. And, you know, uh, Nobody feels completely equipped to analyze it, and you can include me in that group too. But, you know, we have some things to say and uh, some discussions based on uh, some things Michael Crawford and I said last year about how 
Lamar could improve. So I want to give Michael some credit too in terms of helping set this up and and uh, and help us with a framework to to discuss this this time around. Yeah, he, he you know Lamar remains a lightning rod. I think both both inside Ravens fans kind of circles as well as outside. I think even more even more controversial the farther away you get. But um, you know, all, all that being said, I, I'd say that you know. There are there's the good and the bad with Lamar at this point, and you know I, I I think it's interesting to kind of talk through some of these and really break it down because I think that's the nuance that Lamar doesn't get. You know the media really looks at him and, and it's oh did he have a big run? Is he throwing the interceptions? Is he making these mistakes? And I think when you kind of factor all those things in together, some of this detail gets washed out. Yeah, uh, a lot a lot of certainly a lot of detail gets washed out, and it's he's a very difficult player to analyze because. What he forces defenses to do is the most valuable component about Jackson. He forces defenses, A, to account for him, B, to cover more of the field. They are in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation of playing man or zone to either give ground to the Ravens outstanding play action game, which, by the way, the Ravens didn't even have all their assets in play this last year, or uh, you know try and stop Jackson as a scrambler uh, with more zone defense, which is what most teams have chosen to do. Uh, but but it's it's an interesting thing. And that's why I always find it interesting when people are trying to frame up what Lamar Jackson has done in terms of statistics, in terms of um, his passing statistics or even his running statistics. It's just you're, you're missing the point. Lamar Jackson has elevated a team of 10 other probably very average not above average offensive players in total to something that's almost historic in terms of productivity. You look across this field, no Ronnie Stanley for, for, you know, two thirds of the year this year, lose, lost Hayden Hurst, lost Marshall Yada. Who were the great offensive players they picked up this year? <laughs> J.K. Dobbins. <laughs> J.K. Dobbins. So that's a good one. Um, and, and they, they lost Mark Ingram, of course, to, um, Age, age, effectiveness, injury, <laughs> illness, whatever you want to call it. But, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't think this offense in any microscope you want to magnify it by was better than it was in 2019 in terms of the supporting cast. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and the supporting cast, I, I, I quibble a little bit. I think they get a, a slightly bad rep, uh, you know, but Lamar definitely elevates them. And I think definitely on when, when you take a look at the offensive line um, and kind of what the Ravens were dealing with in the middle of the offensive line with Skura coming back and the inconsistencies they had at center with Yonda being gone and kind of all the mix-ups and all the complexity that comes with the offense that, that goes with those shakeups. Lamar or your quarterback in any instance is going to lead you through that kind of tumultuous period of offensive line. And I think Lamar doesn't get nearly enough credit for let's be honest, how poor for big chunks of time the Ravens offensive line was and, and how he essentially overcame that. Yes, very much so. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd even go I, Lamar fantastic. It's also, they really schemed quite well. And we hear everything bad about Roman. Oh, overlapping pass routes, no creativity. It's all runs. But the truth of the matter is, you know, without Roman's scheme actually covering up some of those weaknesses in the offensive line and making it be about have, having to play 11 on 11 and having to focus on Jackson, I don't think the Ravens, you know, make the playoffs this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Greg Roman is a, a very smart offensive mind, um, has already had an understanding of how to deal with a running quarterback. So came in with kind of a running start with, with a guy like Lamar who was willing to embrace it as well. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I probably fall a little farther away from the pro Roman side than you do based on, on hearing your comments and, and kind of how you've talked about it. But, um, schematically the Ravens, you know, certainly were, were very well off because of Roman and he made some great run game adjustments in the middle of the year, yes. um, particularly suited to Lamar's skills. Like the, the kind of counter pull action was, was specifically suited to Lamar. And that was a really, that was a really nice development that, that he added to the, to their playbook. Very, very big change. And the Ravens have never done the amount of two man pulling they did from left tackle, left guard or left tackle center. And uh, it ended up being a very big part of their offense as they steamroll teams down the stretch. So uh, a lot of fun to watch. I'm going to run through some of these quickly. We can talk about it at the end, maybe. So it, positive, positive intangibles. A lot of these were here last year for Lamar. Very high football IQ. I, I haven't seen really obvious additional manifestations of that in 2020. Um, a leadership that that is a lot by example. Lamar Jackson does not get up and make a speech, but Lamar Jackson plans an offseason program and says, hey, I'm doing A and B and C. And if you're not a young player looking at that and say, what the hell do I do? Because if Lamar is doing this, I better be doing something to at least prove like I'm in the game. Uh, that's great leadership. The, the work ethic goes right along with that. He's very relatable in terms of the market. And even though Des Bryant is complaining right now about going away, I think that Lamar in general is a magnet for some of the better players in the league to come to Baltimore. Yeah. And, you know, Des Bryant has been really clear that his issue wasn't with Lamar and wasn't with any of those pieces. And it was just kind of, he was already behind the eight ball when he got here. And I think he doesn't want to play in, in this kind of scheme. I think he knows that he's best suited to be kind of a third wide receiver in a system that, that's not a slot receiver. And there's just not room for that, um, you know, in this system. And I don't think there's any intent to change that um, in the way that the Ravens system is going to operate. But, you know, I, I'm really hard pressed to find another guy that seems to have th these intangible pieces that you were just mentioning from Lamar. Um, you know, you see guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes seems to have some of that. And, you know, I think even early in his career, it felt like Aaron Rodgers before the, was, he was spurned by his, his, his team um, seemed to have some of those things. But, you know, you look at guys like Deshaun Watson, um, you know, that, that, you don't hear the same kind of chatter and maybe this is because we're in Baltimore, but you don't hear it at the same levels that we see with Lamar and Deshaun never took the criticism Lamar took. I think the one thing that, you know, I thought about when, you know, you mentioned to me, we wanted to talk about intangibles was that Lamar takes all this stuff in stride, despite the fact that he is, he is that lightning rod that we talked about earlier and is very much under the microscope of everybody. And everybody has a very strong opinion about Lamar Jackson. And, and, and there are a lot of people that are, feel very good about him, but there are a lot of people that don't, and they'll tell you that. And he takes all of that in stride. He doesn't call those people out. He doesn't make it a thing. It seems like he's working to the betterment of his team and to win um, and not really kind of in spite of those critics. I think that's hard to do. Um, and when you have that kind of leadership from a guy, um, you know, and, and overcoming injuries, you know, the Cleveland game is an example, kind of playing through some of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, some of that crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. Uh, <laughs> You know, when you factor all those things in, you, you, I just don't see how you could have a guy that would have that, that you would have 
you wouldn't want Lamar because of his intangibles. Right. Now, I, uh, I, I think there's still a lot to like. And, and as a quarterback, as purely a quarterback, he certainly is not a polished gemstone at this point. He's a hell of a player. Uh, he does a lot of things well, and he's still using his ability a lot. And if that's not a good thing, I don't know what is. Because I look at a young hitter, for example, in, in baseball. If he can hit 300 and strike out 150 times, I want that guy much much more on my team than the guy who hits 300 and strikes out 50 times. Because that guy has a lot of room for improvement from that level. And I, I don't want to go crazy with age projections for Jackson, but there's still improvement to come. And it's good because there will be offsetting decrements to his ability through the loss of speed due to age and whatnot. And I, um, I, I want to touch on that for a minute because Jackson played hurt this year and it was fairly apparent that, that the groin injury was never really right as the season went on. If you hate Greg Roman, you better love him for the fact that they went to a lot more sidecar than pistol because it really made that pistol back to either side an outside threat, oftentimes a guy in motion, a second outside threat, and then made Lamar a huge up the middle threat where he didn't have to make those lateral juke moves and do as much to strain his groin in ways that might have worsened the injury. Um, I, I thought that was really something good that went maybe unnoticed in the year Roman had. Yeah, you know, I think, and you know, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, but, you know, the running game in particular was an interesting facet in terms of both adjustments that were made from a play calling perspective and how things in defense has changed and kind of the evolution and the push and pull that you get from any NFL team. But I agree, you know, before I started watching the 2020 season, I went back and just watched some clips of Lamar running the ball in 2019 and not the same guy, like just visibly on the field, not the same guy. There were, there were plays early on in the season in both the Cleveland and the Texans game where you were just like, how did he not beat those guys to the edge? That th Those were plays that he made last year and they were, they were electric and they were 15 yard gains that were turning into two yard losses. And so there's a lot more, I think there's some more upside in Lamar because of that than, than potentially just for next season and not as not in the age way that you're talking about, but just from, from a health perspective, potentially, as long as that was what was kind of holding him back for there to be some real explosive growth. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's got to be part of it. I mean, I, I there's other things I like about the sidecar. I mean, I really didn't like it at first because I thought they were giving something up. But then watching the runs, I was thinking the same thing you did that, you know, this does not make any sense that that defensive end isn't supposed to be able to figure out where Lamar's going. Lamar's supposed to be able to read his leverage. It's what he did all of 2019 to beat him. Uh, but anyway, it, it was what it was. Why don't we go ahead and start with the run game since we've kind of already touched with that. What would be your first observation about Lamar uh, and the run this year? Yeah, I mean, the, the the thing that stood out to me was his inability to kind of definitively win at the edge in a way that he got upfield in a way that he didn't in 2019, if we're kind of evaluating this from a year over year. But I think that, you know, if you take, if you take that piece away, you know, all of it remained the same from 2019. I think his ability to read defenders, he still made guys miss when he wasn't getting the extra step or quarter of a step or whatever that took. And, you know, the explosion and the power of his runs remained. I mean, we still saw, I think we saw what, at least one, maybe two kind of 40 yard runs called back on holds um, where he just beat the field, you know, beat everybody up the field. So, you know, that explosiveness remained um, and it seems like it's not going anywhere. You know, he is, he's young enough and he's athletic enough that it's just, 
to me stunning when he gets to that top level, how he keeps that speed, despite the fact that it seems like the acceleration is his, his best asset. Yeah, I, I the the way I like it. I mean, he had two long touchdown runs in which he he approached the top speed. So I don't think it was the straight line speed that was at a lower level. But I'm not sure how I would know because Jackson plays the entire game, 19 and 20 in third gear, not in fourth gear. He's he's always looking to play at the maximum speed at which he can make the next man miss, and that isn't going to be. Tyreek Hill speed, but it's plenty fast enough and it's plenty good enough to make the, make every other defender look like crap uh, on that field. And you, I, I heard one interview with him this year where I heard him start to go into some of the things he's looking for in the defender. He looks for shoulder, his hip, is this, is that. I mean, it was, it, 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 I couldn't replicate it. I couldn't say it back to you, but it was all of the things you expect in terms of Jackson reading the leverage of the opponent and, and being the runner. We hope he, he can stay for a number of years. And since it doesn't completely rely on top speed, I think that's one of the good things is he's going to be able to do some of these things as long as he can move laterally in a similar way. And the other thing we didn't see that stood out to me, Ken, was that we didn't see a sacrifice in his body this year, despite the yeah. fact that it seemed like he was a little behind. He, and I think that, you know, he got a lot of credit, especially even under kind of national writers. I, and Bill Barnwell, as an example, has kind of given Lamar a lot of credit for not taking major hits. And you would think that, if his lateral speed or kind of that burst quickness side to side goes away, does that leave you at more risk for some of those hits? Is Lamar willing to try and take a few more chances, you know, because he doesn't have that step. And I didn't see that this year, which I think bodes really well for longer term potential aging from Lamar, but also just, just evaluating his head, the head on his shoulders. And is it not, you know, obviously everything you were just saying about how he reads a defender and makes them lose or, or how he wins or makes them miss obviously all of those things. But it seems like his head is in the right place about the longevity of both a season, a game and his career, which is I think a huge plus for the Ravens. Yeah. That was a really important thing in 2019 too, because he had to, he was forced into more of those judgments with the way the Ravens used him as a threat in the middle of the field. So when he's running to the corner, he he had 47% of his runs from 2019. He had minimal contact going out of bounds and, and, um, that didn't even include the times he was pushed to the grounds going out of time. So he was pushed, but, but didn't go to the ground. Um, that's a remarkable, high percentage of the runs. And so he's taking, when he did take big hits, he took it occasionally on run plays. He took it on a lot on quarterback hits. He didn't really, even his sacks tended to be runs where he was running away from the defender by the time the sack occurred. A lot of them for short yardage, which really tells you he's already converted it to a scramble. But 2020 was a little different. He was forced to do more of these run middles out of sidecar when they have a threat left, a threat right, and they're not using his lateral motion, sending him more up the middle with a kind of a one-cut juke uh, left or right after after clearing the line of scrimmage. That that kind of run has more risk associated with it, and I thought he did an excellent job of managing that risk in level two and three to not take big hits. And, and teams remain... I'm trying to have, how to word this correctly. Teams mm-hmm. still have to account for the fact that even if he's running straight at you, he could be outside the right hash or outside the left hash in a second's notice. And and I think he uses that as the leverage that you were kind of talking about. He just uses his ability to kind of read and and play into all of that and be able to make those quick decisions on the fly. Um, 
are fantastic. Uh, you know, and this is a discussion about the run game, but the progression and his ability to learn that from a pass game perspective is what yes. will take him to the next level. Um, if he can learn those kind of things, I mean, if he can detail those kind of things in the interview that you had mentioned, where he understands what that process looks like and understands how to work it, that means that he can learn that from a passing game perspective, which is what makes me the most optimistic about that. You know, it's, if it's all just instinct, then, then it's a little more concerning, right? Obviously it's yes. still a fantastic skill set. But if he can't learn to pass or or go through that same process at that same NFL level speed, passing the ball, that could hold him back in the longer run. Yeah, there, there's some things he does throwing the ball that you you have to learn to be able to do. I don't think it's just your Lamar Jackson. I want to come back to that in a minute because we have we have some things. Particularly though, hit me up with rolling left because that's one thing that I'm I'm just I'm amazed with how, what he can do doing that. Uh, let's see. What have we not talked about? All the defenses are having to play 11 on 11 football against the Ravens. I, I do love that. And the Ravens, particularly their two man polls towards the end of the season, uh, whatever you want to call them, counter option, whatever you want to call them. A, a lot of his polls at the end, I uh, sorry, at the polls at the end of the year were, were made to face, make the defense try and cover three plays at the same time. And you wouldn't be able to do that if Jackson wasn't a legitimate run option himself. They don't really have to be covering two. So there's a great run video out there, by the way, I want to plug anyway. Uh, Crawford and Mustyko doing their study on the Ravens run game. It's outstanding stuff. And it has a run against the Eagles where exactly this concept goes into the play. And it's not a matter of the Ravens had the play blocked up all that well. They had one missed block from Skur on the play. They had another beautiful block that he did, couldn't find anybody. The Eagles ran themselves out of the play by having three things to cover. Take a look at it. It's a great play. It's the first of the three that Crawford goes through in that uh, in that uh, study. And I, I it's I want to want to give both of them credit because Josh did a wonderful job of appending information and creating a tool that allows you to play with things like win probability and expected points in a way that should get you past any objections you would have to the data that would be there. Yeah. You know, the play that would remind me similar was in the Dallas game where um, like it was a Vander Esch or yes. whoever it was just I, I just, I mean, he's just running like absolutely the wrong way. And it's, you know, anyway, that's it's, it puts stress everywhere. And, and the Ravens are very good at then taking advantage of that. But, uh, you know, the, the, the one particular play I'm thinking of in the Eagles game, it's, it's Orlando Brown. It normally down blocks and then moves up half a level, hit a scraping linebacker it was the seal block. And I talk about it all the time. And, it, and he was perfectly positioned to do it. It's just everybody ran themselves out of the play. The linebackers were on the other side of the field trying to, I think, go after Dobbins, but it might have been Duvernay. Whoever it was, it was a speed option going left. And it, it just it's hilarious that this didn't work out for them because, you know, if if there had been a linebacker there coming back, if there, if one of the linemen had been able to get off his block and come back laterally on the play to, to cause trouble, Brown would have destroyed him. So it was it's just it was it was set up to to go well, and, uh, and and that's a case of Jackson making Brown's job a little easier at right tackle in terms of what he has to do. That's a you know it's a very easy combination of things to do for Brown as opposed to find a guy in space in level two and either try to kick him out or or or. or drive block him, you know, straight ahead. It's much easier for Brown to do something like that. Yeah. The only other thing that I, I'd, I'd want to talk about, uh, you know, as it relates to 2019 versus 2020 was 
whether or not the zone read action is is gone for good from the Ravens offense. Um, it was something that, that, you know, where kind of leaving the edge guy to make a decision and letting Lamar make that call and making that read just kind of disappeared from the offense. And I, I'm curious whether or not that's because of the offensive line play, whether that's because of Lamar's injury or potential injury or whether or not it's defense is adjusting to that. Um, and it's just not a viable you know, with enough, with enough coaching and with enough preparation and with enough film now, they're ready to do it. Um, and so do the Ravens bring it back, but bring it back in a different formation. And I think, you know, this is probably the thing that drives me the most nuts about Greg Roman. I love his concepts and his principles. And if he would just abstractly take some of the concepts that he executes out of the same formations all the time and execute those same kind of things out of completely different formations, I think the Ravens offense would go I, I I don't even have the words for how far I think it could go because I think it would, it would put so much stress on defenses. And yet it seems like at times, like the Ravens, when they go to these empty backfields or four wides, just it's so predictable. And if they just incorporated some of the same concepts of motion and what they do in the running game out of those same formations, it would be devastating. So it is a, it's a marvelous, marvelously effective offense pretty much no matter how they run it but there there have been teams which which overcommit to stopping the run and it does seem occasionally that Jackson doesn't have the answer for that it really started at the Tennessee playoff game in, at the end of 2019 and continued through a lot of 2020 where i think teams were were certainly much better at beating what the ravens were doing out of the pistol and obviously some of that was the injury i think and some of it was they had a year of film of watching the pistol i don't think you can continue to add layer on years of additional film and still figure out Lamar as effectively if he truly is increasing the toolkit um, by as much as he did towards the end of 2019, 2020. Yeah, I agree. All right. So let's say, um, don't think that other opposing defenses ever were able to successfully commit to a hit Lamar strategy in 2020, which is another really good thing is that even though they let some edge defenders free and we looked at some film on that in the run, the run video, um, they didn't always just go for Lamar and, and it's hard to do anyway. I've always talked about it is, you know, first of all, the mesh point is usually in the way of the edge defender. So he has to, he, he can, he could just say, I'm going after Lamar no matter what, but he's got to go through that running back to get to him anyway. And that create gives a, you know, extra amount of space for Lamar to juke. And the one play we, we looked at that was third in the group, the edge defender outplayed himself. He overran the play when, if he's just watching Lamar's waist, he, he could have potentially nailed him. Um, it's just, it's so hard to hit Lamar cause he's, he's so fast. Uh, you know, like a young Ali is the other one that that's in the same category as an athlete. For me, just you can try and punch him. It's just very hard. He, he stays at a distance where uh, your arms might be long enough to get him, but it, you have to telegraph too much about your punch in order to make it happen. Yeah, he's patient enough, even when running, that he makes you show him what you're going to do and make him beat you. Um, and I also wonder if, you know, some of that strategy of just beating up the quarterback is also just working its way out of the NFL from a rules perspective. We see more running and we it's not like it was, you know, back when subs would do it and, and they would go after, you know, uh, like Kaepernick. They, and they would just I mean, they would just lay these quarterbacks out when they clearly didn't have the ball. Um, those 
I don't think there's a place for that in the NFL anymore. Um, and so I wonder if, if some of that is also a little bit rules aided because he's a quarterback. Well, they, they don't have a roughing the runner call. And if, if the quarterback makes a handoff through the mesh, he's not protected. So, I, you know, other teams could do it. I just I think it's an effectiveness thing. Uh, you know, so so the uh, you know the Ravens obviously get called for a ton of roughing the passer penalties, but other teams, you know, as as we've seen many, if any, unnecessary roughness calls on Lamar. I'm trying to think by the sideline, sure that that's happened, but but I'm talking about like in the pocket after a mesh handoff. I mean, or or even when uh, even in the pocket passing the ball. I mean, I, I think that there is some. I have some other personal opinions about bias that I think play into the yes. fact that Lamar doesn't get some of those calls. The, the outrageousness of Josh Allen receiving a roughing the passer call and Lamar not in the, in the Buffalo playoff game is, is if that's not bias that it's most clear. I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that was absurd. Uh, I just, I, I, I wish that, the definition of roughing the passer was not as tight as it is right now in the NFL, because I think it definitely plays against the Ravens defensively. And, and Lamar doesn't really seem to be protected by it. Um, Maybe other teams really are being careful, but, but I don't think Lamar is really protected by it the way that other quarterbacks are other less mobile ones. All right, let's, let's go to the pass game. Talk a little bit about that. Cause we spent a fair amount of time on the run game. Um, What do you say? Look, you go first. Yeah. You know, I thought that Lamar regressed a little bit in terms of his mechanical growth that we saw in 2019. Um, and some of that might've just been health. I think some of that would have probably COVID and preparation, um, less focused potentially on those discussions around what he needs to do mechanically during the week, because they're spending a lot. It takes longer to do team meetings and scheming when everybody's got masks on, when you're doing it by a video, all those different parts, I think could have played a part in where the talk about his focus needed to be leading up in in the week. I also think naturally those mechanics aren't his personal preference in terms of tendency. Um, And you see that, you know, and sometimes it works out really well. He's got that kind of Brett Favre gunslinger sidearm, get the ball to the guy kind of thing going on sometimes. And, And those, those instincts serve him really well. But I think at times, those instincts serve him really poorly. Um, and I think he, he really improved on that in 2019 from 2018. I think he moved a little bit back in 2020. I think if they can, he needs to make some strides there because there were some throws where he could have hit some guys. If, if I think his kind of mechanical tightness was, was just a little bit better. Right. It, I, you know, the one thing that keeps showing up is that ample time and space is not a really good indicator for Lamar Jackson. He seems to do well when ample time and space is not at his highest. I mean, he's getting a three second pocket room to step into the throw, just not necessarily what really benefits him. A lot of times, you know, drawing defenders in, having more defenders coming after him as a pass rusher allows him to kind of control the pocket in a very fluid manner, whether that means roll out of it, dodge around in it, and then take time for a play to develop, whether that's a pass or a scramble either can be effective. But the the fourth and five play at Cleveland is the best example of him being able to completely manipulate the pocket. The Cleveland rushed six against five blockers. That should have been a pressure somehow, some way. But Lamar rolled right out of it. One of the the, uh, edge guys got caught in the wash. The other edge guy dropped out into coverage. That was Vernon. And ran into Mitchell, I think it was, in level two. And that, of course, freed up uh, Hollywood for the touchdown. But it, it's, it's, 
it was one of these things where, you know, Lamar must have seen the pressure coming or maybe it was the design of the play that there was going to be a rollout to the right and everything just came together. And Lamar just handling a fluid pocket like that seems very comfortable. We see that a lot in the red zone as well. Yeah, you know, and I think some of it is just he needs more reps in the situations, throwing the ball to get comfortable and it to be instinctual. And I think this is my, this is my other challenge with kind of the Greg Roman offense, which is that if you spend all this time running the ball, it, it becomes more, you're, that means you're spending less time practicing, passing the ball and you're spending less time in game situations, passing the ball and you're, you're not letting yourself kind of build from a skill standpoint, because you're not spending, you're not, you're not putting the work in there. And again, that's okay. It's not, it's not necessarily a knock, but it's that, that the balance might actually from a marginal rate of return, not to get too economic, but from a marginal rate of return, you know, I know you love this kind of stuff, Ken, Yes. (laughs) you know, we're going to get a lot better bang for our buck. If Lamar gets, if we spent all of, you know, now that we look back at 2020 and we didn't win the Super Bowl, which was, you know, or even, even particularly close to it. Um, you know, was disappointing to me, but I would have taken throwing the ball 70% of the time if I knew that we weren't going to, you know, make a serious run at it to get the benefits in the next kind of two or three years of, you know, Lamar under contract, um, you know, to be able to say, okay, let's see what he can do when we force him into these situations, when his mechanics are right, when he, when he is better kind of suited to read through those progressions and do those kind of things. Um, it's, it's very chicken and egg to me because at the same time, the stress from 11 on 11 football and the success of running the ball are a big part of why the Ravens are winning right now. So mm-hmm. how do you go away from that? But it's the NFL teams. Eventually someone's going to catch up to you. Okay. You got so much to unpack in that statement, but I love the thoughts So the decreasing marginal return. I completely agree with that. You can only get so much better running the football. If you're the Ravens by layering on things. Now, a lot of the times they're trying to tread water. They're not trying to get better. They're trying to be as good as the amount of catch up that their opponent can do week to week, uh, advanced scouting unit to advanced scouting unit. So they, they have that. Um, I, I agree with you in terms of the passing game, and, and that's the best articulated argument I've ever heard on the topic, because it is typically you, you improve your team by the most by drafting a player at a position where you have an enormous deficit. And it's just, it's just a, it seems like it's an obvious way. But you also then have to use the constraint that I have to save money at some spot on the field because I can't spend money everywhere. So I, while I think normally that's a great idea, I didn't think it was a great idea for the 2020 Ravens to draft use all that inside linebacker draft capital because it was a position they could address otherwise. So they did. It, it wasn't a matter of money yet that they spent on Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, who both stand to be pretty decent players. It's a matter of draft capital at this point. In the future, it'll be a matter of money if they get signed to second contracts. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's 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 really well put. And you know, what, what was it? Some was it Willie Sneed today on somebody on Twitter basically kind of set off this whole thing around this idea of kind of number one wide receivers and, and this notion that volume volume makes a number one receiver in the same way that a number one receiver creates volume. And I think it's an interesting discussion, but that's, I think that's your point here, which is that you can draft, you, you can have three Allen Robinsons at the wide receiver position, but if you're not using them like, like Allen Robinson. Yeah. Exactly. Then what's so, the point? 
Yeah, let's, let's let's be clear about this. This is this is being recorded on February twenty fourth, and I've been thinking the last few days that I need to put these on because we often have a long lead time on actually posting this material after it's done, and you know it's the off season, so material stays timely for the most part. And we're looking back at two thousand twenty, so that's not going to change. But but things do change about the off season. What we're talking about. So this has been an explosive Twitter day with that and the, and the talk of Matt Matt Judon and wanting to get this the uh, the story straight on his new contract, which will. We'll, we'll come back to it at the end here, but it, it, nice to timestamp some of these in a in a way that I think will help. You know, the other the other thing about what you said about the passing game and the decreasing marginal returns, and and more importantly, the amount of time they're spending practicing passing. I'm not sure that affects Lamar as negatively as it might affect the other players on offense. Now, there are players like Des Bryant who in theory know how to run routes, but they just can't do it physically anymore. So we, we, you've got that. So I don't, it's not, it, it's the Ravens fault and not Dez's fault that, that he can't do what they asked him to do anymore. But, but the other players like Boykin, it may actually be a problem where the Ravens aren't working with him enough. And, and um, in his case, I think he really needs to work on positional skills this off season in a way like his career depends on it because I think it, it might in terms of a second contract with the Ravens uh, as, as well, or, or maybe in the NFL at all uh, from where we are right now. And every, every player wants to cash in on that. If you do, the onus is on you. I mean, you bought a jugs gun last year. That's great. Go out and get a, a position coach who can teach you some of the basic precepts of, of, you know, running a route that will not create the problems you did this last couple of years. Yeah. And I, uh... I think that's some of it. And I think some of it's also the complexity of the Ravens running game. I think that, that the Ravens ask a lot of everybody, including the receivers who often are in motion, including the offensive linemen, everybody in any good offense, right? And when you look back to the Tom Brady offenses, I think I'd say the same thing about like Reed and Mahomes, their calls are not, they're not kind of like X, Y, do these kind of things. It's that these are the concepts that we're going to run. We're all going to get to the line of scrimmage. We're going to look at what we have in front of us. And then we all know what we need to do collectively to exploit what we're seeing in front of us. It's not just Mahomes making that call. It's also Kelsey and Hill in those instances or, mm-hmm. you know, with Brady Gronk and Edelman kind of collaboratively knowing, okay, like I need to bend this route inside. I need to bend this route outside. Yep you're also asking your blockers to do the same kind of things. If, if it's, if, if they end up, you know, running the double counter bash and it ends up being a pull to the right instead of the left, you know, I need to be more aggressive with my block. And if it's going to the, to the left side, I need to fade my, my route to the right. So I'm pulling them out of the play without blocking them. And I think there are things that are probably, and I don't know this cause I've never been in an NFL practice, but I think there are probably there's time spent on those concepts and there's mental aptitude that's being absorbed in that process that that's going into all that. And I think that that's the part that strikes me as, is what's taken away from the Ravens passing game. And that's not just Lamar. That's, that's everybody involved. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. Absolutely. Great stuff. What else I want to talk about here. Um, the, the, one of the things that kind of gets missed in talking about Lamar often is what he does when he's forced not to pass. He does give up some sacks and had a worse year. This year than he had previously gave up a hundred and I want to say it was 190 yards on sacks, but anyway, worked out to 2.47 yards per time forced not to pass. So you take his scrambles and his sacks, that's a denominator. So there's at times he's forced not to pass and total yards of scrambles, less those loss on sacks. And you end up with uh, two, two and a half yards per time. He's forced not to pass. 
any positive number is fairly remarkable and fairly rare. Russell Wilson has typically been around one in those. Takes a lot of big yardage sacks. And while he scrambles for plenty, uh, you know, 1.0 year, a 0.9 year has been fairly typical for him. But Lamar last year, over five yards per such situation. It was not replicatable. Uh, uh, t- uh, Kyler Murray was up there around three yards, I think, this year. But but uh, Lamar to be at two and a half is still a fairly remarkable number. And, uh, you know, you don't have him. He has you a lot of times when you when you have an extended pass rush going on and the, the coverage seems to be leading up to a coverage sack. It, uh, it's not necessarily. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I would, uh, from a, a reading the defense perspective, Lamar does not seem at, at this point to have a good tempo sense of when to just pull it down and go. And, and I'd say, I think it's the same problem that he has on some of his deep passes, which that Lamar can see what's in front of him and what's happening directly in front of him in that moment. And he is so dynamic athletically that he can. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus get advanced security free with the XFi gateway. So you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Kind of run the formula of all that and be successful. But he, what he is not great at is knowing what that's going to look like two seconds from then and then taking advantage of what that would look like in those instances. So there were a few deep passes we see from Lamar this year where he waited too long to throw them. His guy basically had the step, but right. he waited until he had three or four steps. But then the distance to the end zone back line was too far, too far. The safety was able to get there or it collapsed. And if he could just... So I think both in kind of scrambling, which was what you were talking about, but also throwing the deep ball. If he improves his anticipation of what everything will happen in front of him, kind of just a second and a half sooner than it is right now. Again, I mean, and Lamar still has the skill set, both passing the ball as well as running the ball to if he takes these strides intellectually or mechanically, the league will we won't be talking about how great Patrick Mahomes is anymore because he won't be able to keep up with the pace of what Lamar could do if he just hit on a few of these big plays. Right. I, I agree. I wonder how they are teaching him on those plays because I see the same thing, a late, late out of the, out of the hand on the pass. And we didn't see that with Flacco as often Flacco more, more like a traditional drop back quarterback that he would overthrow a lot of balls. Uh, you know, underthrows are, are very dangerous in the NFL. That's what gets you into real trouble as a passer. And if he's, if instead of watching his own receiver in that case, if he watches the defender and puts it where the defender can't get in, Marquise Brown more often is even and leaving and is going to be able to go get that ball or at least give him a good chance to get it. Throw the ball inbounds where the defender can't get it. Your guy has a terrific chance to get the football or be interfered with. 
And, and some of that's just trust too. I, yeah. I think, you know, we saw early on, you know, where Lamar made a few bad throws on, on those. We, we saw some interceptions from time to time on some of the deep balls. There were definitely some huge glaring miscommunications. I can think of the Titans game and maybe what was the Boykin, the deep Boykin interception, maybe also maybe Tennessee. the, yeah, the second Titans game, the playoff Titans game. So one was Duvernay in the, in the regular season game. And one was Boykin in the, in the playoff game where they, it just seemed like they weren't on the same page. And some of that I think can also drive some hesitation too, because, and it's the same concept, right? Like Lamar doesn't know what it's going to look like a second and a half away from what that is. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's his fault. And it doesn't mean that he's not anticipating it. it. It also may mean that it's not playing out the way it should. Yeah, it, it, that could be. But I, I, again, I want to come back to the idea of treat the defender as a receiver and try and overthrow that guy as a receiver. And you're probably in good shape for your own guy to catch the ball. I just, you know, that seems to be like the easy eye puzzle way of finding it. There's a there's a large target area of uncovered space out there that you can hit as a quarterback with the right, you know, right amount of air under the ball, right release point. And Lamar's perfectly capable of doing it. It's a, it's a matter of processing that quickly enough. And I think, I think you're right. I think that's an area for growth. And I think, you know, given the, 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 uh, the nice area for areas for growth, along with all of the things he does well at this point, all the gifts he has really leads you to, to, to wonder, you know, just how much better could he be? Yeah. And, and some of that, like you just said, is just maybe leading the receivers a little bit more. I, I think Lamar sometimes doesn't do that. And you see throws that are a little behind guys on crosser routes. Um, you know, it's, it's just a little bit behind. And, and if he can throw that a little bit ahead of some of these guys, they've got the, I agree. I mean, even Boykin's got the speed that they can, if they're, if they're off the release can go get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Boykin certainly has the long speed. That's that's for sure, and it's been beautiful when he's when he's throwing the ball up there in space. Um, one more thing I want to talk about the past game is just how remarkable Lamar has been in the red zone because that is an area where I think his creativeness and ability to move around and create space is very different from just about any other NFL quarterback. He he. They do not rely on any of the normal routes they would have with Flacco. So if with Flacco, you do some, you do fade routes to the corner. You did flat routes to try and get a guy open with some misdirection. You did zipper to try and throw a ball up high in the middle of the end zone. You, that was a, a Bolden especially. Uh, it was a Pitta specialty as well. Um, but you don't do the things you do with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson basically gets in the pocket. He tries to read leverage. If he finds that, he'll take that guy. But otherwise, he's willing to move around and he moves left to right, whichever direction is necessary in order to create a throwing lane for himself. Arm angles aside, which he can add another layer of of creativeness to that. And what it allows for is those extended plays not only create uh, you know direct linear relationships with a receiver that will develop over an extended period of time, but they also allow for secondary releases. So you had a tight end that was into block, and all of a sudden he says, "Well, hell, throw the ball to me," kind of thing. I, I'm loving what I see in that. And we saw a couple touchdowns. I think one to Boyle. I'm not sure if the other one was. Yeah, I think they might have been both to Boyle. Um, where one time he caught it about the two yard line, the other time he caught it in the end zone. That's a very underrated value that Miles Boykin has added to the Ravens in terms of his ability to create, to react um, uh, to some of those late extended plays positively, particularly in the red zone. Yeah. And, you know, for the most part, Lamar seems to have really solid pocket presence and the ability to kind of move, move those things around and kind of take advantage of all those things. I think sometimes 
sometimes he tries to overdo it a little bit and he, and he kind of runs himself into some things, but we've also, there have been plays where Lamar, I swear is going to take a sack and runs into <laughs> two or th- between two or three guys. Cause he's trying to hit a gap or he's trying to do something and miraculously backs out of the whole thing and, mm-hmm. and manages to get away. Um, and so his escapability in those moments is, is impressive. But I think some of that also is anticipation, his ability to kind of read that leverage and, and those kind of mechanisms within the pocket. And, you know, I'd love to see the Ravens and, Jackson and his receivers get on an even stronger page about that. I think when he does break the pocket, it's, I don't know if this goes back to kind of needing to think about too many things, but it doesn't seem like there are enough big plays happening when Lamar breaks the pocket sometimes that, that it really feels like there should be with, uh, with kind of the way things start to collapse towards him and the talent that our receivers have from a speed perspective I've been surprised that there haven't been more plays like we saw in the Cleveland game for that touchdown. Things like that should just seem like they should happen more regularly in this offense. Yeah, I I agree. A breakdown should be, should be more, uh, should be more damaging for the opponent than they, than they seem to have been. A lot of times, you know, those are result in a run and that's where the breakdown is. And we don't ascribe it as kind of a passing game run, maybe in our heads, but it's, but it's really part of that is some of the value. Um, I did want you, you reminded me of one thing I, I definitely wanted to come back to from earlier is Lamar is very different rolling left than other quarterbacks that are right-handed. And when he does that, he really does what Patrick Mahomes does and swivels the top of his body. It's almost like learning to turn on a pitch as a power hitter in baseball and is able to still generate very good uh, velocity on his throws while doing that. We saw Flacco do that. And, and I, I don't really like to compare Flacco to, to Jackson regularly. This is not a bash Flacco show, but but Flacco almost gave away the mile high miracle game on a roll left that went for an interception uh, in, in that game. So it's, 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 it was intercepted out of bounds was fortunately the, the, the situation that was either it was early in overtime. That's when it occurred. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that, that he has to be, he has to have been a taught about that mechanically probably by Josh Harris or maybe before then. And also he has to be thinking to do that because it's very easy to use your arm more than your upper body. It's not a second nature kind of thing. And it doesn't happen often enough that I think it's a natural, I do this automatically in this situation here. Maybe he's moving left. He says, got to get good rotation, got to get good rotation. Uh, the way Homer says, eat the pudding, eat the pudding, eat the pudding. When he <laughs> remembers that for as a Simpsons reference. Uh, but uh, but anyway, maybe, maybe he thinks that way. But it, it just seems like it's not a um, uh, it's a thinking behavior more than it would be an imprinted kind of a learning. I, I totally agree. I mean, it seems absolutely coached or at least executed from practice or, or kind of, you know, and that's when, when I talk about spending time on those kind of things, that's the result you get. Cause you spend time working on those things and prep prep to do them. You see that from Jackson. And I, and I think for the most part, I think one of the reasons why Lamar's mechanics get away from him is he's a little bit of an arm thrower. Um, you know, he, he can, he doesn't need to be, and, and in a lot of ways that's an asset because he doesn't need to be set um, right. in the same way. Some guys need to do to be the, get the ball 40 yards down the field, which is an impressive talent in its own right. But I think to me, that signals that Lamar is really focused on doing it correctly mechanically in that instance, because if not, he really would try and arm throw it. Cause he does in a lot of other situations, whenever you see, you know, you talked a little bit about all the various arm angles and things that he'll do at times. And that's all arm action for Lamar. It, it, it that seems instinctual to me. And he seems to force himself out of that at times, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Outstanding stuff here. What else would you like to talk about in terms of 2021? What do you want to see out of Lamar Jackson? Yeah, you know, to me, I think the thing has to be figuring out how to, when they when they want to throw the ball, simplify the passing game from whatever level that takes. It drives me crazy that the Ravens, I, I was looking a little bit into how quickly they're trying to find out how quickly the Ravens get to line of scrimmage and how quickly they snap the ball. And I was doing some research about kind of, there's no good data on how quickly teams kind of break the huddle and, and actually like get to the line, but there is good data out there about where in the play clock, they snap the ball and the Ravens when trailing by seven or more were dead last and the amount of time it took them to snap the ball, I think that's a great if, stat. Where did you get that? You know what? I, I'll have to I'll have to look it up and and we can put it in the notes on this one. Sure. Um, it, it was on Football Outsiders, and um, I think Michael Crawford actually might have put me onto it. So that's um, okay, you send me the link. We'll, we'll <laughs> it's the pace stats from Football Outsiders, and I think the Ravens were at like thirty-one seconds when trailing by seven. Now some of that sample size, right? I think the Ravens just didn't trail by seven very much at all. Or when they did, it was probably early a lot of times. But 31 seconds when, and so to me, that's an overcomplication of what you need to do to get an offensive play call in that's a pass call. And they need to, in my opinion, if you want to keep the complexities of the run game, then you have to simplify the passing game. Um, and, and you do have to stop some of these overlapping routes. I think those things are those are harder reads to make. You've got to be smarter and thinking through more things as a quarterback, spread everybody out, make them quick one look reads guy open or not open guy in a double team, not in a double team. Um, and, and the Ravens don't take advantage of those opportunities. Huge progression there. If the Ravens do it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a huge opportunity for improvement. And, and I think some of it is scheme, but some of it is Lamar needs to be able be willing and able to look at more of the field at once and be able to deliver the football to various parts of the field that will punish a defense regularly for being too focused on the Ravens run game um, or, or, or too focused on play action, whichever they end up being. Um, you know, you've, you've got to punish the opponent by forcing them to defend every part of this field because that's what the Ravens really can can make you hurt from uh, if they were able to do that successfully. But, you know, they've got Miles Boykin on the left side. He does a lot for their run game. Uh, he has not yet done a lot in terms of, of as a receiver, what he brings. In fact, a lot of his big catches with Jackson, he did have a big catch down the left sideline against LA. I'm thinking of that, that was 50 yards or something, but a lot of his catches otherwise with Jackson are to the middle or right of the field, despite the fact he starts on the left. So we're not, we're, we're just not seeing um, a, a, as much of that left side of the field looked at. And, and there needs to be some sort of easy eye trick. I keep saying this, uh, soften your gaze, whatever you want to call it, look through the defense as opposed to looking at the receiver in a spot to try and figure out if you've got one of two targets and then and then maybe focus down from there uh, you know, on a side of the field you don't typically throw to. But I, the Ravens obviously throwing left is not something they've done a lot of uh, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we're on the same page about that. And if there's not a lot that Lamar needs to do to improve there, but there is work, I'd say that that's probably the biggest area of work that needs to be done. And I, you know, 
conceptually, I would apply it as kind of anticipation in general. Lamar needs to be able to just kind of see everything a little bit a step ahead. And, you know, honestly, that's what we heard Patrick Mahomes said before they won the Super Bowl, that he finally felt like he was starting to be able to predict the things that were going to happen or anticipate and kind of see things a step or two more ahead. And, and I think that's the, that's the step Lamar needs to make. And if he does that, sky's the limit for this guy. It'll be exciting. So we're we're going to see Lamar effectively in a contract year in 2021. It'll be his fourth season. He has a year of option play left, but the Ravens would really probably not want that to happen uh, with all of the leverage uh, risks that creates if he plays uh, well or not well, and they have to make a decision either way. You play him in the fifth year, you pay him almost like a regular starting quarterback at the highest level, and then you have to, you know, you're forced to make another contract decision, be it sign the guy with the franchise tag or sign him for big money at a un with an uncomfortable relationship maybe between the parties. So I, I hope they're able to get the contract done this offseason. If they're not, I think it, next year is the year that's really going to make sense uh, to do it before uh, you know he's, he's at risk of being lost to a free agency or requires a franchise tag the year after. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely – I think we'll see him on a – I'll be surprised if he's not signed to an extension at the end of end of this season. Um, and even – I mean, I, there, it doesn't make a lot of sense going into this season given the kind of cap restraints mm-hmm. that we're going to be kind of staring down. Um, but it seems like all parties are interested in, in kind of – Lamar staying in, in Baltimore for the, for, for the long haul. That that's probably one of the things that doesn't worry me um, at this particular moment, but get back to me in a year. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope not. I mean, if you, if you look at the Cleveland message boards, they're not completely sold on whether or not Baker is the guy or not. Most people say yes, but, but you know, there are people who, you know, are still stung by what happened in 2019 with him. I saw a good 2020, certainly, you know, a, a player who moved forward, you know, definitely. And that's the most recent ev- evidence is always the most pertinent. So you want to see that. But, you know, Browns fans just aren't in that same positive position of knowing they got their guy. Uh, they've also probably been burned a little bit over the last, you know, 20 plus years to, to the point where they're still a little bit uh, uh, scarred on the hand from touching the stove. Yeah. I, you know, I, there are probably some Ravens fans that would tell you the same thing uh, about how they feel about Lamar, but um, I am, I am very far from one of those people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, okay. I understand what you're, what you're saying with that, but there are, I have seen it mentioned that some by at least one person on Twitter and, Twitter has the most extreme people in society <laughs> are fully <laughs> represented there and willing to voice themselves in an anonymous forum. And, uh, and there is at least one guy out there who, who said, you know, is it, is it a reasonable strategy that the Ravens just let Lamar go after either year four or year five, probably year five, let him walk for a compensatory pick as if that would be enough, just because you don't really believe in the longevity of the position and they go out and get another quarterback at that point. And I think what he really is saying is, if you could draft another quarterback for sure, and he'd be a, a great player, which already you've, you you don't have that, um, would you then want that for a second uh, contract? But part of the problem is with Jackson, and the Ravens will never draft in position to have a a good shot at one of the top quarterbacks. So they'd have to really do a great scouting job to find that number four or five quarterback in the draft who's really good, like they did with him. And also, let's. Pretending as though even when you have the top pick in the draft and you can pick the best quarterback of the class, 
you're still, even in that instance, 50, 50, it seems like, you know, and maybe historically it's gotten a little bit better than that. And I think the college game has improved and yada, yada, yada. I'll, I'll take some, you know, I'll, I'll seed some ground on that, but generally speaking, this idea that, Oh, well, you can just find another quarterback that the reason quarterbacks are so high in the salary cap is not because, well, some of it is scarcity, but mostly it's because you can't, it takes time to find the right ones and it's really hard and everybody's constantly looking and nobody, honestly, nobody has a, there's no book on how to be successful on this. So it's very arrogant to me for any fan to say, Oh, well, we should let a very good quarterback go because we can just replace him with someone that's going to do the trick. Even if you had the first pick in the draft that following year, I wouldn't be buying it. I mean, I agree. I mean, if, let's look at just the last 15 or so quarterbacks picked number one overall, but Joe Burrow, of course, last year, we don't know yet. Kyler Murray looks like he's going to work out. Uh, Baker Mayfield in 2018 still has detractors. Miles Garrett was the, was the number one before, but Michael Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky was the second player drafted in 2017. That should, should scare you. Jared Goff in 2016 is not a player that I'd, I'd be real excited about. Jameis Winston is already not a starter. Marcus Mariota drafted right behind him is not either. <laughs> uh, the first quarterback taken in 2014 wasn't drafted until number three, and it is the great Blake Bortles. So uh, that, uh, I think we could say, didn't work out. There wasn't a quarterback drafted until number 16 in 2013. Do you have any recollection of who that was? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? E.J. Manuel. Oh, gosh. Right, right, right. Right, right, right. So a tough year for quarterbacks that year. 2012, you had a couple good ones at one and two. Andrew Luck and then Robert Griffin. And obviously, you have the injury that that happened to Robert ruined his career. And Andrew Luck, also injury-related, career ended very early and in a bad way for the Colts in terms of their contract situation. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily work out. 2011 is a long time ago now. And I'm not saying Carolina didn't get good play out of Cam Newton. But I don't know that I'd really want Cam Newton as the number one player again if I had Lamar Jackson. I don't know that I'd want that pick instead, even with the the salary gain in those first few years. And then in 2010 is a key one to, to make sure we include in this was Sam Bradford at number one. So uh, I don't think anyone would say that really worked out. Yeah. So I, it, you know, I mean, that's the easy way to look at it. And then you can just throw in Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Alex Smith. I mean, just, just real off quarterbacks that, that should have been, or were thought to be maybe not sure things, but very good. And so it's, you know, I, I liken it to arrogance, this idea that anybody thinks that they can pick a quarterback that's going to be good, let alone a quarterback that their first three years in the league is going to be the unanimous MVP of the NFL, um, is going to, you know, have won as many games as Lamar has won. I mean, there, there's just, we're, we're in unique times with a very unique player, um, and people just need to get over that, in my opinion. <laughs> and and, and the, the other point is, we, these these teams all drafted number one. They had to go through a season like the Jacksonville Jaguars or New York Jets had this year in order to have a chance at such a player. The Dolphins, you know, in recent years, this isn't. That's not where the Ravens are going to be. They're, they're, they'll never be in that position with Lamar. They'll be drafting in the twenties, uh, if not in the thirties, and they'll have great difficulty ever sniffing a good quarterback. Uh, with, you know, with uh, the draft capital they have. 
I mean, to, to look at this in, in, in JJ points, the Ravens in total coming into this draft, and this does not include the third round pick they're going to get for the coaching move with Cully, um, have only 1,067 JJ points in this draft. The top pick in the draft is worth 3,000. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the Jaguars have more than four times as much draft capital as the Ravens have this year. You caught me off. I, you know what? I haven't looked at like a draft chart value in a while. So that one, that was a, a fully throated laugh response to that. That is incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. All right. So uh, anything else about optimism for 2021 we talk about or any, anything you want to see particularly? You know, I, we, we talked about most of it, you know, I think, but ultimately the bottom line for me is Lamar just has to kind of keep being the guy that he is. We talked about the intangibles up top, but you know, I, I didn't kind of point him out as somebody at the very top of that for no reason. And, and that's why I'll mention it again here. I think that if he continues to work hard, he, this guy, this is a guy that, that physically has improved, um, mentally has improved, understands scheme is willing to do anything willing to, do whatever it takes to win for this team. Um, and if he just keeps being the guy that he is, I think he's going to ascend to kind of what he's capable of just because he, he'll work that hard. Right. I, I, uh, you know, everything is to love about exactly that about Lamar Jackson. One thing that I, I did hear talked about today that I, I don't want to pass up the opportunity to talk about is, do you think Lamar would be effective running a no huddle offense, at least when the Ravens wanted to do it? meaning they stay with their same personnel, which is a key part of the no huddle. So they don't get to rotate in among their eligible receivers, but they also keep the same defensive personnel on the field. I can't imagine a world where when you run the ball as effectively as the Ravens run, if they just bothered to run a no huddle scheme, how quickly you would wear out the defenses. They would be, they would be absolutely scrambling to get guys onto the field. You would, you could totally wear them out and abuse them on play action after a few quick, I I would be okay with a, a no huddle all run drive. And this mm-hmm. is kind of that, that whole concept where I was saying that I wish that Greg Roman would just take some of the principles that he has and, and find really weird ways to apply them. Because I think that if he would do that, then he, he could break the NFL. And I think that's the thing that bothers me about Greg Roman, that there's that, not that he's not very good because I think he is, but like they're just like right on the cusp of being able to do so much more. Yeah. I mean, getting to the line of scrimmage early is, is, is part of that key. And I can understand why you were frustrated by not having that information because you lock that defense into the personnel they have. If you don't make changes of your own, if they try and change, well, you'll get them with a, with a penalty. Um, and if you, if they, you may even get them with a penalty that gives you a free play. And I've never been able to, by the way, get the proper definition for when 12 men on the field is a penalty before the snap and when 12 men on the field is a penalty that allows you to get a free play. I've never heard that explained properly to me, but either way that you're going to get some opportunities created by that. And I think that you would really have to commit to passing in those situations. And we've seen how effective the Ravens are at the end of the half scoring points. They're just remarkable. They can move up the field at will. And part of it is that their passing game is deadly on multiple levels because Jackson, is, as a great scrambler, is good. But the other thing is you tire the hell out of that pass rush. And I think that's even more true than than, than the run game that, that, you know, you just can't rush the passer play after play and not make substitutions to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, the, the Ravens 
I was interested in this already. The, the pace of which they play it, it drives me absolutely bonkers. I think it has direct correlation to the complexity of what they do at times. Um, and so, you know, yeah, more hurry up. I think, yeah, you know, there's, we've seen, there's nothing from Lamar that says that he wouldn't be capable of doing something like that. So I, I got to ask you before we, before we cut this off of, of what, what do you think about the Matthew Don situation? Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's get back to that. So we're again, February 24th, we're recording this. So a weird situation. And, and I, I, I tell you how I interpreted it originally when all I saw was a copy of the Instagram thing. So, so it seemed to be that Judon was, was basically saying, look, Hensley, get this record straight. You know I didn't get offered money in the middle of the season. You know what the rules are. Just tell everybody, correct the story and the thing. And then he brings up this thing about the strip club, and I'm going to sell you right the picture. Well, first of all, who cares? You know. <laughs> and second of all, um, I, first of all, why was he there in the same strip club with Hensley? But I, how I interpreted more of that was, the same way that you talk about professional advancement at work, and it would be funny that you'd say, uh, yeah, well, you may realize correctly that I have no talent, but if you had the pictures I had at the President Hotel of you know this guy, well, that's how I kind of interpreted it. And if it was intended to be a joke in that way, it didn't come off well in writing. You know, and that's often the case, by the way, don't joke in email, folks. I've been burned by that personally. But but also when you joke in Twitter, you joke in a written form. People don't always have the level of sophistication or the backstory to really get it. Uh, And either one can be very destructive. So uh, it's a a good thing to avoid doing. So I I think there's a good chance that he actually was doing it somewhat comically. But then I saw some other stuff and and I wasn't 100 percent sure that that was the case because there was other stuff where he seemed to be consistently aggravated by the fact that this had been misrepresented. Yeah, I uh... I, I didn't think of that take. And if it was a joke, then I'm more on board with it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think if this goes to show my biggest takeaway from all this one is, you know, I, I think if the Ravens want to sign, resign Matt Judon or not, um, I don't think this is going to ultimately play a part. I think that right. Judon is right. Hensley needs to know those rules and, or his editor or somebody that they're working with needs to know those rules and needs to know that that source is, is wrong in, in this instance, that there's no way the Ravens offered him a deal at that rate in the middle of the season. They're, they're not allowed to. Um, and so that's, I mean, certainly a ding on him on kind of not doing his thorough homework on, on his source and kind of getting it corroborated in, in whatever way he needed to, um, you, you know, but to me, this speaks to in the bigger picture, free agency and the mania that is going to be the season that there are players that likely, and I think Judon might've been one of them that, that would have gotten a decent deal to stay with the Ravens. If they had the cap space, potentially that was, in the right wheelhouse to stay because he thought they were going to win and could be somewhere that would work out. And I think the Ravens likely at the beginning of free agency called Judon and said, look, this just can't work, right? There's not even a team friendly number that we can bring you back on. We think you're a great player, but it's probably not going to work out. Agent calls other teams. They're hearing numbers that are probably not very good in terms of what they think that Judon is worth right now. Um, And that's a guy's livelihood, right? Like, and so at the same time, all of free agency is going to be like this. Every position is going to be like this. There are going to be a couple Matt Judons that drift their way to the end of free agency that are going to be a good value. Um, And the teams that wait are, are, I think, going to reap real dividends from it. Yeah. So if you have money and you wait, I agree. I think there's a, there's a fantastic opportunity to 
pick the bones of the other teams who don't have cap space and will have to be releasing some damn good players and just hoping against hope that they want to stay put. But, uh, you know, the Ravens have all of the kind of the central things. They have a little bit of cap. They have a play, a quarterback everybody wants to play with. Um, a few receivers aside, perhaps, uh, but probably not even. Probably the receivers would love to play for a championship here in Baltimore, too. Um, and, and, you know, they have a, a front office who understands the game very well, and, and they're going to be able to go out uh, as time moves on. And I really hope they don't make a big splash at a position, either offensive line or wide receiver, or even on the edge where some players are available. Signing Tyus Bowser, all for it. OK, but 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 if if they want to sign a a higher number player, you know, I want I really want them to wait um, I, b- before to, to really understand where they are relative to the cap. And I, I'm with you. I think there'll be a, a ton of incredible bargains to fill a lot of holes if they're just patient. And there'll be, you know, two to three million dollar contracts to be had with a variety of players that that will really help the Ravens. Yeah. Brandon Sheriff is probably the one guy that I would deviate from that plan for. I think that, I think he could he could be a long term Marshall Yonda ish, not Marshall Yonda, but Marshall Yonda ish type guy that really stabilizes the interior of that offensive line. But he's the only one. <laughs> he, he's the only one you do it for. So, yeah, uh, not Allen Robinson. None of those other guys. Not J.J. Watt. <laughs> not J.J. Watt. Right. <laughs> maybe. I mean, and I would want to wait it out, but maybe Von Miller is a guy that if you do your homework and whatever kind of off field baggage he might have is all cleaned up and he's healthy. He's a guy I would think about too, actually. Okay. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, um, do you think, wh- where do you, where do you expect Matt Judon to come in in terms of salary? Cause it's something we talked about in the last few shows a little bit. It's, it's not clear, is it? No, I, I mean, it, it seemed like it would be in that kind of like 14 to 16 million range in a normal salary cap world. And that just feels right. You know, even the Zaria Smith contract that kind of, I think what Hensley probably heard was that the Ravens wanted to offer him something like what they offered Zedaria Smith, but didn't get a chance. And, and I think that was probably the misinterpretation somewhere, but now I, I mean, and I think this is why Judon's upset. I, I, I mean, there's a situation where he might not make $10 million next year. Yeah, that's I I think that could happen. I think that that he he might end up signing one year for 9 million and it, or he might sign multiple years at 11 to 12 million say, but less certainly than than the than the premier pass rushers and the premier uh OLBs have been making the last few years. Jadavian Clowney is the perfect example last year. This year's environment is not as good as it was for Jadavian Clowney to make 12 million last year. So you know, I, I I wish the best for Matt Judon. I especially, I really want him back in Ravens uniform. He's a tremendously important player to how the Ravens play defense, and he gives them all sorts of schematic value. I'm just, I'm frightened to death that either the Patriots or the Jets, who understand that as well and have cap to spend, are going to get him cheap. Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. But hopefully he takes a one year deal um, and and makes his money, you know, elsewhere. And, you know, but I I really and it's so tough to do this for guys that are already making millions and Judon already making, you know, what, 14 or 15 million dollars last year, you know, on the tag. But, you know, you're just what seems like money that was it just seemed like he was on pace to be making at least as much as what the franchise tag was last year going into last season. And here we are all the crazy things that have happened in our world. And, you know, he's 
seeing maybe ten million dollars taken away from him for for really no particularly good reason. I and mean, it might be it might be twenty five million, but if you look at other players, I mean, Matt Skura's situation is at least as bad in terms of his injury and the timing of it. It just it happens. It's very sad. The NFL is the business it is, but it's also a good reason why players at the end of year three need to find that divisible benefit on the table. And, and you know, the Ravens have three of those contracts right now that I'm really hot on getting signed with Anthony Averett, Bradley Bozeman, and Deshaun Elliott, who I think would all be excellent divisible benefit players. Don't get yourself trapped in some sort of a COVID situation where you don't end up getting paid or, you know, never have the generational wealth. I mean, honestly, Matt Judon got the generational wealth in the, in the single cap uh, tag year. Um, he'll, he'll arithmetically add to that throughout the rest of his career, but he's already made the exponential jump with that particular contract. Um, you know, other players, you know, it's a binary function. You get it or you don't. And, you know, a lot of the players, you know, we, Isaiah Wilson, we've been talking about recently, Uh is going to retire on what I think is about $3 million. And, you know, financial professionals may or may not think that's enough money to retire on. I can tell you as a financial professional, it's not enough to retire on at age 22. And if he's planning to spend any amount of time in a strip club, he's going to realize very quickly that $3 million will not take him very far. And I think that's been part of it. (laughs) Yeah, for for sure. And, you know, well, and look at Tavon Young, you know, a guy that, probably was on pace to make more than what he signed with to stay with the Ravens at that time, if he would have kind of played it out, but he was smart. He took the money and you know, here we are. And yeah, he lost some of the money on the back end of that contract, which you would have to give up, but he's made vastly more as a result of taking it early than he would have otherwise. And, and honestly, you know, it's not great for the Ravens cap, but I think that, that it was a win-win for team and player in that instance, even with him getting injured. Right. And, and well, it's a, you know why it's a win? It's because this is a philosophical thing the Ravens want to do. And so they can point to this in terms of other players. It would be nicer if you could point to somebody else's third year player who got signed and, and uh, the contract didn't work out as well. But, you know, to say that, hey, you know, we've done this and yeah, you might give up a couple million on the back end. But look, you can you, you're not going to be stuck in Tavon Young's situation where you didn't have a contract and you didn't make, you know, 15, 20 million dollars. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I deviated us far enough from quarterbacks here. So uh, <laughs> apologies well, you know, for that. The, the, the thing is, you get in such good, these interesting conversations with smart people. And that's what we, we, we typically have on this show. And Jordan, really appreciate you coming on and raising the average IQ of the show. Uh, thank you. You and Gabe are both good at doing that. But we have we have others as well. I don't want to single, single them out as the only ones. Tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Raven Sit Room. Um, and we've also got our podcast, um, The Situation Room, that you guys can find right here on Ken's site. And we, we'd love to have you. We try and break down the games um, as they kind of come through individually, look at some impact plays and some things that we're seeing on the field and the scheme and try and throw some videos out there of what we're seeing up on Twitter. Great stuff. And uh, you say, did you say at Jordan Co? At Raven Sit Room. At Ravens sit wrong. Okay, no wonder I didn't remember you. Yeah, I, I, we just I just changed it recently. So, <laughs> all right, very good. Uh, other people, if you're interested in doing a film study short this season, I want to make sure people are are thinking about doing that. It's very easy. Send me by email, filmstudy21 at verizon.net, or by uh, Twitter at filmstudyravens. 
three bullet points on what you want to talk about. The more focused the topic is, the better, because we will dive into some detail, I promise you. Even if you think you're coming with just three bullet points, we're, we're going we're gonna to inspect it. We want to look at it a little deeper. And that's the point of this show is a lot of depth and hopefully give people bite-sized uh, amounts better than we have in the past, uh, uh, like this hour and 13 talking about the quarterback that Jordan and I just have taken. Appreciate you being on again, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.